I think about pictures, I was thinking about this past week. My wife was out of town. She went to a women's conference down in Texas. And so she left me alone with five kids. I can't say if any of them showered. I can't guarantee that they ate meals every time they were supposed to eat meals. But I can say they were alive when mom got home. So that makes for a good week. One of the things we decided to do was when mom was gone, we decided to stage a picture of the chaos happening at our house. So let's go ahead and show this picture up here. Uh, This is what the week looked like. In this picture, if you look closely, there may be one of my kids with jumper cables attaching it to his brother. There may be a chainsaw involved in this picture. There may, there may be a ballerina doing ballerina things on the counter. And you may see Oliver doing his thing there. And then you see dad in the fetal position sucking his thumb. <laughs> now, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, it took us 34 times of trying to get this picture just right. We took 34 pictures to get the perfect one because I knew, hey, we're going to post this to social media and and I want people to recognize the chaos, but man, people are going to see it. Like the picture had to be just right. You ever notice how we do that in life though? Like when you scroll through social media and you see what's happening in people's worlds, you know, everything has to be just right. I mean, your profile pic. When you put that profile pic in, like, you got to make sure your hair's just right. you got to make sure you're, you're smiling, or if you don't like your smile, you're frowning. you got to make sure there's no cilantro in your teeth. Like, that picture has to be just perfect for you to put that on social media because everybody's going to see it. They're going to judge you based on that social media picture. Uh, that's where as parents, like, we are so good to post the picture of our kids scoring the winning goal or, or doing whatever, right? But we never post a picture of the kid on the ground throwing a tantrum because they're getting taken out of the game because they just blew the game for the team. Like, we don't post that picture. We post the good picture, right? That's where you ladies, and I guess some of us guys, you post that picture-perfect meal that looks like it came out of the cookbook. Like it came out of a Betty Crocker or whatever it is. You picture, uh, you post that picture of that perfect, wonderful meal with all the colors on the plate, But you don't ever post a picture of when you make mac and cheese and and, and hot dogs, right? Like that's not the picture you see on on social media. And isn't this why we take 35 pictures to post one one of them? Because we want people to think, hey, look at us. We're we're a good person. We have it all together. We're we're, we're valuable. We're, We're worthy of you liking our picture. We're worthy of you taking an interest into our life. And and every once in a while, we'll post a Bible verse, but, you know, it's not going to be too personal. Because we want to appear godly, but, you know, we don't want to be judgmental or whatever else. So we do this on social media. I think the reality is we also do this in regular life. We want people to see us. We want people to think, man, that guy's a good person. Man, that person is funny. That person's a good parent. That person's a good spouse. They're beautiful. They're valuable. They're godly. They're, they're worthy. Whatever it is. And so we kind of live this life where we kind of build this resume, so to speak. Now, I don't know if any of you have applied for a job recently. It's been a few years since I applied for a job. When you're you're applying for a job, you got to put a resume together. 
And what is a resume? It's a collection of all of your good things in your life. It is a collection of your accomplishments, your qualifications, your awards. Um, you have references who are going to speak highly of you. You want to say, hey, this is my highlight reel. I'm a great person. You need to give me the job. When you're filling out that reference or, or, or that uh, resume, though, again, notice the people you put on your resume. You put the people on your resume who are going to speak highly of you. You don't put the person on your resume who maybe your coworker that you had a bad relationship with and you know that they would throw you under the bus. You don't put that person on your resume. And so we, we do. We live this life as if we are building a resume. And so we focus. Again, we want that acceptance. We want that value. We want people to think we're, we're important. And so we focus on all the good things about us, all the good things in our life, and we ignore and we forget the times that we fail. We ignore the people that we've hurt along the way. We forget to mention the classes that we failed, the honors that we didn't get, the disappointments we've had. We never bring up the coworker or the boss who can't stand us. Because again, that resume is important to us because we want people to think, hey, I'm a good person, I'm valuable, I'm worthy, I'm godly, I'm whatever it is. And so we wear these rose-colored glasses looking at our life. We wear these rose-colored glasses where we just have this highlight reel of who we are. And then if there's anything bad in our life, we're really good about justifying it. And so, like, for example, when you're filling out that, that resume, you know, if you ever got fired from a job, the question is, do you actually put that on your resume? I mean, most of us, if we got fired, we're not going to put it on our resume. And if we do put it on our resume, we're going to be able to justify it. Well, let me tell you what happened there. This person did that, and, and it really was their fault, and that's why this happened, right? This is what we do. We become experts at justifying ourselves, at defending ourselves. We say, well, people just didn't understand me there. And so we are really good. As human beings, we are really good at pretending that we are better than we really are. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up your Bible. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back. We'd love to put a Bible in your hand. Um, If you want to just follow along, I'll have all the verses we read on the screen behind me. Uh, Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. We've been starting this series that we call a gospel-centered life. And uh, really, we we, we came up with this idea, uh, I mentioned this last couple weeks, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the apostle Paul, he's writing a letter to a church very much like ours, a church that is growing, But it's a church that has some struggles in it. All churches do. No church is perfect. And so Paul's writing and dealing with all these things in the church and says, listen, church, here's how you find unity. Here's how you deal with division. Here's how you deal with sexual morality. Here's how you deal with with all these things. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, okay, I've talked to you about all these things, but let's come back to what's most important. He said, listen, I wrote to you of what was first importance, and that's the gospel. The, the foundational core belief out of everything we believe as Christians. All those other things are our, our, our division and our unity and, and, and the Lord's Supper and our sexual morality. All those things are important. But here's what's most important. Is that we understand the gospel and we base our life and our faith on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do, everything that we believe is tethered to this gospel. I've asked you the last couple of weeks, I've asked you to take some time on your own and summarize the gospel in 50 words or less. And it's been fun listening to different people as they've been able to come up with that. Uh, here's, the, here's the summary that I wrote. Jesus 
God in the flesh, fulfilling scripture, died in the place of sinners because of his great love, and he rose from the grave, offering eternal and abundant life to those who put their faith in him. And so this fall, what we want to do here at Restoration is we're going to have some conversations about how that message, how that gospel has implications for every part of our life. In fact, the reason that we come to church, we come to church because we want to experience a change in our life. We come to church because we want to see the world change. Um, we want to uh, uh, come to church because um, we want to find value, because we want to uh, grow in our relationship with God. Listen, all of those answers are found in the gospel. All the things that we're longing for, the reason we come to church, they're found based in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're going to spend this time making sure we understand the gospel front and back, that we understand it and we know it like the back of our hand. And the next three weeks, what we're going to do is look at the gospel in, in, in three different aspects, or you could look at it in three different tenses. We're going to look today as the gospel in the past tense, the gospel as an accomplished event. It's something that is done. It is, it, it is finished. It is, it is an accomplished event. Next week, we're going to look at the gospel in the present as an ongoing experience. And then two weeks from now, we're going to look at the gospel in the future as a coming reality. But here's, here's where we want to go today. And again, you know, when we're talking about the gospel, I know my wife even said this, and it's true. Like, Kevin, we're having these gospel conversations. They're all kind of like the same thing. Like, we're talking about the same thing every week. And yes, we are talking about the gospel every single week. But here's where it comes. Uh, we're going to see each week a different focus. Uh, we're going to see a different implication, a different application. So we understand the breadth and the depth of how the gospel affects everything that we do and everything that we are. Today, we're going to see the gospel as an accomplished event. Something that has been done and is completed. In fact, here's... Here's the big idea I want you to understand. I want us, all of us, to walk out knowing this today. That we are saved from the penalty of sin. That we are made right with God. Not because of what we've done, but because of Jesus' life and death. It's a basic message I want us to walk away from today. Is that we are saved from the penalty of sin. We are made right with God because of Jesus' life and death. So Romans chapter 3. Again, Romans is a book that Paul wrote uh, again. This is another one of Paul's epistles. He's writing it to the church in Rome. This wasn't a church that, that Paul planted. This was a church that he had heard about. And uh, he had intentions to come and help them and support the church. And so before he does that, he writes this letter. And he, and he deals with some uh, issues of religious diversity in that church. In Rome, you had this, this uh, conglomerate where you had these Jewish Christians who came to faith to, in Christ. And then you had these Gentile Christians, and they were coming together. And the Gentile Christians are just trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the Jewish Christians, uh, they're much like us, where they understand that Jesus thing, but they also have this focus on this resume. They also have this focus about, hey, I've got to do all these things in order for God to be happy with me. I've got to do all these things in order for God to, to bless me. And so Paul writes this letter as a response to that. And he's going to detail the gospel and say, listen, you've got to be centered on this. So here's, here's what Paul's going to give us today. He's going to give us good news and bad news. And we're going to start with the bad news first. Here's the bad news, and I need you to hear this. I need every one of us in here to hear this today. 
your resume, all the things that you do, all the things that you think make you a good person, that make you lovable, that make you accepted, your resume is never going to be good enough for God. I mean, I'll, I'll be up here as a pastor. My resume will never be good enough to God. It doesn't matter how we spin the, the sin in our life, how we justify the people we've hurt, the wrongs that we have done. It doesn't matter if we think that we're a snowflake and we're unique and special and wonderful. None of us have a resume that's going to be good enough to earn us a right standing with God. I mean, here's what Paul says. Romans 3, he gives it to us straight. Verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Drop down verse 23. Paul writes, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul just said, hey, every one of us in here today, I don't care if you're a saint. I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're a prophet. I don't care if you're homeless. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I I, I love how Paul defines sin here. Like we like to simplify sin and we say, well, sin is, you know, if it's if you cuss, if you if you get drunk, if you get angry and you yell at your kids, you yell at your wife. Like we like to simplify sin and say it's those sorts of things. But Paul gives us an expanded view of sin here. In fact, we actually talked about this expanded view of sin a couple weeks ago. This is the way that we created this idea of sin. God created everything in the world, right? So, so God created the air. God created the oceans. God created the mountains. God created sex. Uh, God created marriage. God created work. God created children. God created our, our hobbies, the things that we love to do. God created all of these things. And he created them for a single purpose, for his glory. He created everything that we enjoy in this world for his glory. All those things that we have the ability to enjoy and to participate in. Ultimately, he gave them to us so that we would point back to him and recognize he's the creator. He's, he, he's the giver. He's the one that deserves to be glorified because of how good he is. All these things exist for God's glory. And this is when sin happens. When we, when we take something that God created as being something that should point to him, and we make that ultimate. In fact, Matt Chandler, uh, we gave this definition a few weeks ago. Matt Chandler defines sin like this. Sin is the elevation of anything other than God to ultimate in your life. Where all these things that we enjoy on this earth, they should be pointing us to worship God as the, as the creator and the giver of life and, and the giver of all good things. But instead what we do is we take what God created and we make that ultimate. And that may be work for you, that may be sex, that may be whatever it happens to be. You take that and make the ultimate, and that is where sin comes. And that is where we no longer are, are seeking to bring glory to God. Now we're bringing glory to ourselves, And that is what sin is. And so Paul gives us this expanded view of sin. And I, and I want us to understand that no matter how we justify ourselves, no, how, no matter how we justify the, the, the struggles and the wrong things we do in life, we can't justify the fact that we are glorifying ourselves. Paul makes it very clear. This is what sin is. When we no longer are glorifying God and we begin to glorify ourselves. 
Make ourselves a top priority. Make ourselves, our pleasure, our wants, our desires, our our whatever it is, the number one thing in life. And Paul makes it clear. Listen, every one of us are guilty. Every one of us falls short in giving glory to God. We take that glory and we give it to ourselves, like we're amazing, like we're so special and wonderful. And this is the bad news. This is the bad news that Paul starts out with, that that there's no hope for any of us being right with God based on what we've done. That you can put that resume together. You can say, look at all I've done, God. And he'll always point back and say, yes, but look here. I mean, I picture this. I picture the moment we die, we walk up to heaven. And we, we walk up to God, and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Or like, here's my resume, Jesus. Here's my resume. Here's, here's all those times I went to church. In fact, Jesus, here's all those times I went to church, and the Seahawks were playing. And I should have been home watching the Seahawks. Like, I really love you, God. I went to church when the Seahawks were playing football. Look, Jesus, here's that time I held the old lady across the street. Yeah, Jesus, I'm good. Look, Jesus, here's that time I dropped 15 bucks in the Salvation Army bell ringer bucket. Look at all the things I've done. And God's going to say, okay, that's good, but let me show you this. And he's going to show us all the times in our life, the times that we want to forget, the times that we want to justify. Say, yeah, this is where you sought glory for yourself instead of seeking glory for God. Here's where you made yourself ultimate and not me. And so none of us have any hope of being right with God based on what we've done. And the scary thing is, man, if none of us are good enough, man, there's no hope for us, right? Like, I I feel that. But there is good news. I mean, this is why we talk about the gospel. The gospel means good news. So here's what Paul says in verse 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Drop down verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. See, here is the good news. Here's the simple basis of the good news. Number one is that Jesus had a perfect resume. Jesus always did what was good. Jesus always did, always did what was right. He always did what was perfect. Jesus honored God in everything he did. He loved people through every thought, through every word, through every deed. Jesus is the only one that can approach God and say, look, I have a perfect resume. Here's what I've done. He's the only one of us that could do that. And not only does he have a perfect resume, but number two, Jesus paid the debt for our sin. Jesus, despite being perfect, he suffered that death on the cross. The penalty for sin is death. So the question is, well, why did Jesus have to die? He, if he never sinned, why did Jesus have to die? The reason that Jesus died is he was paying our penalty. For all the times that we saw our own glory instead of God's glory. For all the times that we, we made the creation the ultimate instead of the creator. Jesus died for every time that you and I broke God's law. That we sinned. That we, we sought our own glory. And Jesus was willing to take our punishment. And here's the, the third thing of good news for us this morning. 
is that when we put our faith and our trust not in ourselves, when we no longer put our faith and trust in our resume and all the good that we've done and how worthy we are, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done for us, that God takes and he uh, trades those resumes for us. Where no longer do we approach God with our resume, now we can approach God with a resume from Jesus. And that's the resume that, that God accepts. So no longer does he look at us and see all the, the, the dumb things we've done and all, all the, the sins that we've had. Now he looks at the resume of Jesus and says, listen, yep, boom, stamp, paid in full, you're there, you're in. 1 Corinthians 15 Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, For our sake, God made him, being Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that is the good news. That even though our resume, if we're being honest, is, is completely marked with sin and junk, there is a resume that we have not earned. There is a resume available to us that God freely gives. And it allows us to, to trade our insufficient resume for a perfect resume. The resume that, that belongs to Jesus. Listen, if you are new to, to church, if you're new to restoration, if you're new just to the faith. Listen, that simple message is the foundation of everything that we believe. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are made right with God, not based on what we have done, but based on what Jesus has done in our place. It is an accomplished event. It is done with. Listen, you don't have to go and keep trying to earn it. Jesus has done it. When he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, that means it's done. There's nothing that can be added to what Jesus has done. There's nothing that can be taken away. It is completed. It is an accomplished event. And this is what I want you to experience. I want you to experience the love of knowing that Jesus was glad to die in your place. That he willingly went to pay your debt so you can be made right with God. The amazing thing is, listen, when we embrace this truth, when we embrace the gospel, here's the freeing thing. No longer is our identity based on what we do. No longer is my identity based on, look at all the good things I've done. No longer is my identity based on, look how righteous and how happy and how good I am. Now, my identity is based on what Jesus has done. And that's complete. Our identity doesn't change. My identity isn't based on, hey, I'm having a good day, so I'm really good. Or those times I'm having a bad day and I feel really bad. That can't change my identity. My identity is secure. It is an accomplished event. It is complete. Now, I also recognize in, in a room like this at church, I know there's a lot of you who say, well, I'm already a Christian. I already get this. Like, I, I get this. Like, my salvation isn't based on what I've done. It's based on what Jesus has done. Yes, of course. I know this truth to be in my head. I proclaim that truth with my mouth. Yes, my identity, my salvation is based on what Jesus has done for me, not what I've done. But this is where the rubber hits the road. And this is where I want you to be honest. Deep down in your heart of hearts, do you truly live your life with that confidence 
Do you live your life in the reality that your identity is secure because of what Jesus has done and not because of your current situation, not because of your, what's happening on your resume? Because I would, I would guess, I would assume That if we're being honest, despite having the head knowledge that we are saved by what Jesus has done, I would guess that most of us in here are living our life as if we're building a resume. That our reputation, that our identity is tied to the good or the bad stuff happening in our life and the current situation right now. That if we're doing good in life, if we're, if we're, we're, doing good in our family, if we're doing good in our work, if we're doing good, we're going to church, that we feel like, man, I've got a pretty good spiritual life. Of course God loves me. Of course God is blessing me. And on the flip side, if maybe you're struggling, you're struggling with some secret thing that you wish you didn't have to deal with. There's some tension in your relationships. Maybe work isn't going good, so good for you. I'm going to guess that there's some of us that feel, man, we're unworthy. Man, this sucks. God's, God's struggling through this. Because this is what our culture teaches us. Our culture teaches us that we have to continue to build the resume. And I think that we take this idea, and even though we understand with this head knowledge, we understand, listen, my salvation is based on what Jesus has done. We live our life as if our resume still matters. And we we, we scratch, and we claw, and we forget our sin, and we minimize our sin, and we justify our sin because we've got a reputation to build. We've got people looking at us, and we want people to think that we're godly. We want people to think that we're special, that we're happy, that we're, we're, we're valuable, whatever it happens to be. You know, the worst thing is you see this, it happens in church. Somebody comes to church, and again, we would say church is all about what Jesus has done. But how many times do people walk into church, and we're like, hey, you need to dress like we dress. Hey, you need to uh, talk like we talk. You need to act like we act. If you're going to be a part of this church, you've got to do things the way that we do them. And what are we teaching those people? What are we teaching them? We're teaching them, listen, your resume matters, not your relationship with Christ. And we have this, this church hierarchy where, where we come in and we don't, people, we don't want people to know we're struggling. And so we fake it. We put a smile on our face. Yep, life's good. Life's good. We're building a resume. We're trying to say, hey, look, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm godly because everything's good in my life. And I'm going to minimize my sin. And I'm going to justify the times that I hurt people and I do wrong. Because it's all about a resume. It's all about what people think. I'm going to give you two ways to expose whether you are building your life on a resume, on your own resume, or God's resume. And these are two things uh, that probably show how I struggle with this. Struggles in my life. I wonder if you recognize these in your own life. Number one, um, have you ever recognized how you feel like God's blessing is dependent on my obedience? Do you ever live your life and, and go through a situation where you feel like God's blessing is dependent on your obedience? Like if I'm going through life and things are hard and I've got some sin and there's some different things going on, like I feel like God's angry at me. I feel like God is, is disappointed at me. 
I feel like God is, is making me suffer because of the sin in my life. Again, because if God's blessing, his grace is dependent upon my resume, man, when things are bad, I've lost hope. No wonder God is busting my tail. And so then we start looking at other people. We look around us and, and, and we see, man, of course God isn't blessing me. Of course isn't God, God isn't blessing me like other people because I need to get my life together. I need to put my resume together. I need to make things look better because then if I do that, then he'll bless me. So I can't tell you how many times in my own life, and I'm a pastor. And so this is why I'm going to guess that some of us struggle with this idea that God's blessing in my life is dependent on how I'm doing in my current situation. If I'm doing good, of course God's going to bless me. And if I'm not, well, I've got to do something to make that right, to earn God's blessing back. The second way I see this play out in my own life, the second struggle I have about this resume building, is there are times that I feel completely unworthy of God's grace. That I feel completely unworthy of what God has promised me. In fact, there's a term that I recently heard about, a term that I think uh, I have connected with. It's a term called imposter syndrome. Anybody heard of an imposter syndrome? Fascinating stuff. Uh, it plays right into our resume culture where it highlights that we have a desire to be good and to be recognized as being good by other people. And so imposter syndrome essentially says that, that despite all our accomplishments, despite the good that we see in our life, we feel like a phony. We feel like we are not smart enough. We feel like we are not capable enough. We feel like we are not good enough despite the accomplishments around us. So an example for that for me Man, I, I pastor a church. I love the church. I love Restoration Church. I love the people that God has put right here. God's given us a tremendous ministry. It's been fun to see Restoration Church. Man, we have entered a season of growth. We're in a season of health. We've overcome some tremendous obstacles. Like, that's awesome. That's success. That's positive. That, that's good. Uh, prior to planning, Madison, uh, planning Restoration Church, we had the privilege of working at Madison House. And we saw hundreds of kids come to know Jesus. And it is in a season where I'm enjoying being, seeing these kids now grow up into a, to a young adults. And I see these kids getting married. I see these kids having kids of their own and, and being engaged in the community and doing good things in our community. And there's a sense of, wow, look at all that good that's happening there. I mean, I've got this beautiful wife. I've got these five tremendous kids. And honestly, people are like, hey, you're, you're, you're awesome, Kevin. You're awesome, Pastor. Good job. Good for you. You're so, I want to be like you. And if I can just be brutally honest with you, I can't tell you how many times I feel like I'm an imposter. That I'm not a good enough leader. You know, my greatest asset as a pastor is not the fact that I'm a great leader. Probably my greatest asset is I'm too stubborn to quit. And I'm just going to keep plugging away. <laughs> I am constantly aware of the sin in my life. I'm constantly aware that I go through seasons where I'm not depending on God. I'm depending on my strength, on my knowledge, on my ability. I'm constantly aware of that, that I'm trying to do things so other people think, hey, look, he's a good guy. Look, he's a good pastor. 
I'm painfully aware of my failures as a dad. Painfully aware of my failures as a, as a husband. Of the times that I'm quick to snap at my wife, to snap at my kids. Painfully aware that I don't have all the answers. That I don't have it all together. And I feel like this imposter syndrome comes over me. Where there's all this good around me. There's all these good things happening. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of what God is doing. That's me. What about you? And we have this bad tendency where we begin to look around at other people. And we see, we see God blessing someone else. We see God blessing someone else's uh, marriage. We see God's blessing someone else's uh, job. We see God's blessing someone else's church. And we're like, well, of course God's blessing them. Of course God wouldn't bless me because I'm not worthy. Of course God wouldn't do that for me because I'm not good enough. See, if you ever experience a Christian life and you feel like it's a yo-yo, you feel like it's a roller coaster, where it's like I'm up and down, like God's happy with me, now God's mad. God's happy with me again, and now it's bad. And, and you go on this roller coaster. Listen, that is not a gospel-centered life. If we constantly are going through these feelings where, where I'm good with God, and, and now I'm not. Like, like me and God are tight, and now we're not. Like God's happy with me, and now he's angry with me. Listen, if that has been your experience with Christianity, can I just say that's not a gospel-centered life? If God accepts you, if God loves you, if God saves you, if God has adopted you as his son or daughter, not based on anything that you have done as an accomplished event, then why now do we change and revert back and say, well, sure, he accepted me, but right now God can't bless me because it's based on my resume. See, we understand that, that salvation is because of what Jesus has done. But do we understand that our identity in God is not based on what we do? That our Christian life, as we grow in our faith, it's not based on our resume. Do we understand that? This is the difference between the re- religion and the gospel. Okay? Give you a couple examples of the difference between religion and the gospel. In religion, religion says that my identity is based on what I do. But the gospel says my, my identity is based on what God has done for me in Jesus. See the difference here? Religion says, number two, I feel the need to prove myself to God and others because my acceptance is based on my good performance. So I'm constantly under pressure. I'm trying to perform. I'm trying to do these things so I'm accepted by the church. So I'm accepted by people. So I'm accepted by God. And there's that pressure. But the gospel says, I don't have to prove myself to God or to others because my acceptance is based on Jesus' good performance. The pressure is off. Because it's already accomplished by Jesus. Number three, religious tells, religion tells me that I have to pretend that I am better than I really am. I have to try to hide my faults and my failures because every sin condemns me. But the gospel says I am free to be myself 
with all of my faults and all of my failures. I don't have to hide because all of my sin is forgiven sin. This is what I want us to walk away with today. To understand. The right side is where we're supposed to be. That is what it looks like for us to live a gospel-centered life. The gospel doesn't just save us, but the gospel does everything for us. It's the gospel-centered life. And so many of us are reverting back to living a religious life. Where even though God saves me based on what Jesus has done, now I'm going to make it all about what I do. The question I asked you last week, I want to ask you again today. As God thinks of you right now, God looks into your face. What does, it look so, what does it look on God's face right now? Is God angry with you? Is God disappointed in you? Is God telling you to get your life together? To get things right? If you are living a gospel-centered life, there's only one answer to that question. Satisfied. Pleased. Loving. The gospel is not just something that we believe once. The gospel is a core foundational truth for every day of our life. It is an accomplished event. That we are saved from the penalty of sin. That we are made right with God because of Jesus' life and death. That is our identity. Romans 8, 1, my favorite verse, probably my favorite verse in the Bible. One that I have to memorize and tell myself again and again and again. Because when Satan tries to tell me to believe in religion, when Satan tells me, listen, your resume is what matters. And if I'm struggling, I feel like a failure. Romans 8, 1 tells me that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. My sin has already been dealt with by Jesus. So God's not going to come back and judge me twice. He's already judged me. He's found me not guilty because of what Jesus has done. Listen, as Christians, we have to learn how to preach the gospel. Yes, we preach the gospel to non-believers. We want to go into our schools and our community and, and our neighbors and tell them, hey, G Jesus loves you. God has a plan for you. He died for you. But Christians, you need to learn how to preach the gospel to yourself. That when we feel that temptation to revert back to religion, we feel that temptation to, to, to build our faith on a resume, when we feel the temptation to come into church and try and act like, hey, look, I'm a godly person. I'm going to do everything just like you tell me to. That we would preach the gospel to say, listen, my identity isn't based on what the church tells me to do. My identity isn't based on whether I feel like I'm doing good or bad. My identity is based on what Jesus has done, and that's accomplished. So on days when I'm feeling good, I know that God's blessing me. On gay days I'm feeling bad, listen, I know God is still blessing me because he doesn't change. It is an accomplished event. What difference would it make in your life if you were absolutely convinced that God accepted you just as you are. 
For me, I can answer and say, man, there's peace. There's freedom. There's rest. And I want that. Think about how you come to that point that you understand and you are, are, are convinced that God accepts you just as you are because of Jesus. Listen, how does that affect your ability to love other people? Where no longer do you have to try and belittle people to build up your resume. No longer do you have to judge other people who can't keep up with you. But now you can just love people. Because it doesn't matter how they see you. God already sees you as perfect, as accepted, as loved. Restoration Church, we have to come back to the simple idea, this simple truth that we are saved from the penalty of sin, that we are made right with God, not because of what we've done, not because of our resume, but because of Jesus' resume. We have to build our life on a new resume. So that means the, moment, the day that you got saved, you got saved because of the resume of Jesus. Listen, tomorrow when you wake up, and you go to work, and there's problems going on at work, and there's problems in your relationship, there's problems in this and that. That truth is still the same. That you are still okay. Not because of the problems in your life, but because of what Jesus has done. That's what a gospel-centered life does. Let's pray.